0: if you've been watching the US presidential election, you'll have heard a lot about who is most qualified for the job. Who has the temperament or the knowledge or the experience to best fill that role? In fact, from what I've heard, one of the main claims of Hillary Clinton's Campaign seems to be that she is one of the most qualified presidential candidates ever. Her husband Bill, who probably is a little bit biased, uh, he has called her the most qualified U.S. presidential candidate in more than half a century. And. President Barack Obama, he said this, I can say with confidence that there has never been a man or woman, not me, not Bill, nobody, more qualified than Hillary Clinton to serve as President of the United States of America. Now, we're not here to discuss whether you think that's true or not. Okay? So please don't infer anything about my politics from what I've said. Whether Mrs. Clinton or Donald Trump is qualified for the U.S. presidency, that's an issue for people over the other side of the water to deal with. But this morning, I do want us to consider whether we think we are qualified to serve in God's kingdom or not. I think so many of us miss out on what God wants to do through us because we feel unqualified for the job. We pull back from serving God as He has called us because we don't feel good enough. Or we feel that we don't know enough. Or that we've not had the right training or experience or results. We feel too ordinary, too broken, too weak to do anything of significance for God. But is this what matters in God's kingdom? Is serving God only for the strong and the clever and the impressive and the successful? Well, Apostle Paul didn't think so. There were people in Corinth who thought that Paul was unqualified for the job of being an apostle. They said that he didn't look that great. Nobody knows why, but he didn't look that impressive. And they listened to what he said and they concluded that he didn't sound that impressive. They asked him for his qualifications and he couldn't present any piece of paper that convinced them of his credentials. And they looked at his life and his struggles and they didn't think that he was living what they thought was a victorious Christian life. And so they were tempted to reject Paul and his ministry and his message. In favour of those who looked better, spoke more powerfully, carried letters of recommendation and seemed to be living a much more prosperous life. But in our passage that we're going to look at this morning in 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote to confront this issue. Head on. And to challenge this church to understand that in God's kingdom, the only qualification that we need is from God. So we're going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Start at the verse 12, and then we're going to go into chapter 3 and down to verse 6. If you have a Bible? Have a look at it. If not, just listen on as I read it to you. So 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 12. Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, and found that the Lord had opened the door for me, I still had no peace of mind, because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are the smell of death. To the other The fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity, like men sent from God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everybody. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence as this is ours, through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter but of the Spirit. For the letter kills but the Spirit gives life. I think on the face of Things It's understandable that some people thought that Paul's life was not going well. As we've seen before, Paul made a visit to this church to try and sort out a serious issue there. But it hadn't gone well. And so Paul kind of returned to Ephesus where he wrote a difficult and distressing letter. Which was carried to them by his trusted friend Titus. Now Paul desperately wanted this church in Corinth to accept this letter and to respond to it appropriately. But he wasn't sure that they would. And of course he just couldn't pick up the phone and and give them a call and find out how it was going. So he was left anxiously waiting for news from Titus. And so even when he was in Troas... And the Lord opened a door for him, a door of ministry, opportunities to share the gospel. He still couldn't settle there. He said, I still had no peace of mind. He was concerned. He was worried. In fact, he was so desperate to hear from Titus that he left Troas. And all the opportunities that God was giving him there. And he went to Macedonia. This was an incredibly difficult time for Paul. He faced what so many of us struggle with. He was anxious because he didn't know what was going to happen next. And he felt powerless to do anything about it to change the situation. And yet, even in that time, Paul was not in despair i will actually need to wait till Chapter Seven of Second Corinthians to pick up the rest of the story about what happened with Paul and whether he met Titus or not, because Paul stopped his narrative of what happened in his life to change your perspective on what was going on, because things were not as they seemed. Paul's life despite how things looked, was not one of directionless defeat or discouragement or dejection. Instead, he could praise God because he was walking in triumphal procession in Christ. I think it's clear that what Paul had in mind was these victory processions of Roman military leaders After winning major battles, conquering generals and their soldiers would ride through Rome to the claim of the crowds. Ahead of them would be senators and state officials, followed by the spoils taken from the campaign. Then followed by the captives, walking in shame, having for slavery or even death. So this seems to be in Paul's mind as he wrote this letter, this victory parade. But what is less clear is where Paul saw himself in this procession. Did he see himself as walking with the conquering general, celebrating the victory? Or was he walking with the weak and defeated captives? Because in a sense we can make a case for both. Of course, Paul knew that he was on the victory side. He knew that Christ had already won the battle over sin and death and Satan. In his first uh, First Corinthians his letter written to that church in th- chapter 15 he says this, Thanks be to God because he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was celebrating the victory that Christ had won. And yet, Paul looked much more like a defeated captive. Also in that letter, in chapter 4, he said this, God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like men condemned to die in the arena. That was like his life experience. So maybe the ambiguity of where Paul was at saw himself in this position is deliberate. Because there were aspects of both victory and suffering in Paul's life. But the message is clear here, I think. That through this the the celebration of Christ's victory and the sharing in Christ's suffering, Paul was sure that God was leading him. God always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. Despite how it looked, the struggles, the opposition, the criticism, the uncertainty, the stress, the anxieties, Paul could rest in the truth that God was in charge. That he was fulfilling his purposes. That God was accomplishing his will. We can say the same if we're trusting in Jesus today. We can look beyond the circumstances and the challenges of our lives and we can say with Paul that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. No matter what struggles or difficulties we face, we can stand in confidence that our God is in charge. And that He is leading our lives, even when it doesn't seem like it. We can hold on to that promise in faith, even when we cannot see it. So Paul knew that God was working in his life. He also knew that God was working through his life, even when some people refused to believe. Verse 14 of chapter 2, Paul wrote that God, through us, spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. I think this goes back to those victory processions again. Because when the, when the, the soldiers were, were parading through the streets, they would also be burning incense. In celebration of that victory. So as a result, everyone in that vicinity would be impacted with the smell of victory. And in a similar way, God was using Paul to powerfully impact the lives of all those who were around him. He was leaving an impression on them. Helping them to experience something of what it was like to really know God. But that didn't mean that Paul believed everyone was going to be saved or everybody was going to trust in Jesus. Paul wasn't that naive. He continued in verse 15 of chapter 2 We are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. He knew that many would reject the message Many people would stay in their sins. Many people would be lost. But he also knew that some would respond with repentance and faith and be saved. And so he he accepted the fact that he was the smell of, to the one we are, the smell of death and to the other the fragrance of life. So here's a balanced outlook When Paul thought about his ministry. It's not the deluded triumphalism. Of those who believe that they're going to go out and they're going to save everybody in the world. But neither is it the dejected defeatism. Of those who think they're a failure. Because some people refuse to believe. Instead, it's the balanced understanding that even although many will choose to reject Him, God wants to work through us. To bring some people to the knowledge of Him. And I think this reality can encourage us so much. And enthuse us to keep going in this world. To be the aroma of Christ. Yes, to some who are perishing but also to some who are being saved. And Paul was committed to doing this, even though some people were just serving themselves. Paul knew that there were some false teachers who peddled the word of God for profit, he says. Now this image that Paul used here, it was of unscrupulous wine dealers who watered down vintage wine and sold it for a make a dishonest profit. In a similar way, these false teachers were watering down the truth. They were making us, they were selfishly profiting by selling a diluted and a weakened message. Twisting God's Word distorting the gospel, pandering to those who wanted to say what their itching ears want to hear. Just so that we'd profit financially. Just so that we'd be paid for it handsomely. So what should Paul do when so many other people are, are being popularist and, uh, and watering down the gospel and everyone's going to follow them and give them lots of money? What should Paul do? How should he respond? He just refused to copy them. He didn't seek popularity or fame or payment for what he did. He didn't say what other people wanted to hear. Instead, he declared in verse 17 of chapter 2 In Christ, we speak before God with sincerity. Like men sent from God. Paul knew right at the start of this letter he declares himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. He was called by God to share the word of God. And so he did that ultimately for an audience of one. Yes, he hoped that other people would listen And we'd be impacted by what he said. But his primary goal was to go where God told him to go. Was to do what God called him to do. Was to say what God told him to say. As you will write later in this letter, we make it our goal to please him. Not make it our goal to please everybody. Not make it our goal to please people. But make it our goal to please God. In our Christian lives, we are not called to be popular. We're not even called, first and foremost, to be successful. Instead, first and foremost, we're called to be faithful. We're called to faithfully declare God's word In obedience to God's call in our lives, in a way that would glorify God's name. That's at the heart of what it should be in our service for God. And so that means what other people think of us really isn't that important. The false teachers in Corinth, they were brandishing their letters of recommendation, their references, as proof of their qualifications. Whether they were genuine or whether they were fake, they were counterfeit, that's unclear. But these men were claiming some well-known Christians as their referees. They were name-dropping, basically. Now, in principle, there's nothing wrong with a recommendation. There's nothing wrong with a reference. Paul often wrote to commend people at the end of his letters. But the question is, did Paul need that kind of letter for the Corinthians? And if he couldn't produce one of those letters of recommendation, did this mean that he was unqualified compared to those other false teachers who had the letters? Well, Paul didn't believe so. Verse 2 of chapter 3, he says this, You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts. Known and read by everybody. Paul didn't need a letter of introduction to this church. He didn't need proof that he was qualified to teach and disciple them. Because they were all the proof that he needed. Because it was Paul who had introduced them to Christ. It was Paul who had planted this church. It was Paul who had helped them to grow in their knowledge of God. So he didn't need a bit of paper to prove his apostleship. He didn't need the recommendation of other people. He could just point to them. as the evidence that God had called him and used him to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Again in his first letter in chapter 9 he says this. Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others. I assurely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. So it's not wrong to be commended by others. It's not wrong to have qualifications or degrees in theology. But what matters more to serve God and his kingdom is the evidence of God at work in and through us. Because it's God and God alone who qualifies us for His work. So if you don't have those qualifications, those bits of paper, those letters after our name, that ultimately isn't what matters. It's whether you're right with God and if God is working through you. Paul was seemingly un. Clearly uncomfortable trying to defend himself here. Because he was aware of his own personal shortcomings and his limitations. He wasn't like those false teachers who were just supremely self-confident and self-sufficient and happy to stand up and say, look at me because I'm great. Yes, he knew that he was to God the aroma of Christ, but he asked And who is equal to such a task? Who could be the aroma of of Christ to this world? And yes, he knew that this church was the result of his ministry, but he knew that he really hadn't accomplished that. He said, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves. So Paul didn't look at himself and say, well, I can do this because look at me and what I've done. Instead, Paul was confident in God. In verse 4 he says in chapter 3, such confidence as this is ours through Christ before God. Paul knew that in himself he had no right to claim the privilege and the, the authority of apostleship. No right at all. He was a sinner. He was somebody who'd persecuted the church. Who'd worked against the cause of Christ. How could he claim to be an apostle of Christ? Paul didn't claim to be a self-made man. But he knew that everything that he was and everything that he did was only because of what Christ had done in him. And it was all because of God's amazing grace. In chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, he says this. I am the least of the apostles. And do not even deserve to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And so, although Paul felt disqualified, he knew that through Christ God had changed him so completely. So now he was qualified to serve God. That our competence comes from God. And although Paul felt weak and unable, he knew that God was working through him, not through his own strength, but by the Spirit, to change people's lives. This amazing verse in verse 3 of chapter 3, You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human heart. These people in that church, they hadn't joined a religion. They hadn't signed up to follow a a list of rules and regulations. Instead, their lives had been transformed. From the inside out. Yes, this was through Paul's ministry. But Paul hadn't really done this. This was nothing less than God's work. By God's Spirit. And through God's power. And this after all is the heart. Of what Paul was preaching. He wasn't going back to the external rules and regulations of the old covenant. Like the false teachers were. Because the letter kills. And we'll see that in more detail next week. As we look at the the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. That no matter who they are. Nobody has the spiritual resources to keep the law. To to reach a standard by themselves that make them acceptable to God. And so in the end, everyone who tries to get right with God through the law is left condemned. And separated from God forever. Instead, God called Paul to be one of the ministers of the new covenant. He preached the gospel of Christ that through faith, simple faith in Jesus, and his sacrificial death and his glorious resurrection, we are, who are helpless and hopeless sinners, can be completely forgiven, can be adopted into God's family, receive a brand new life through Christ, and experience the transformation. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, the letter kills. But the Spirit gives life. This was the message that Paul shared. Because this was the experience that Paul had in his own life. And so this is why it didn't matter. That Paul didn't look as impressive or sound as eloquent, or appear as qualified as others. His qualification to serve in God's kingdom wasn't dependent on any of those things. Instead, it rested solely in God's grace, through faith in Christ, and by the work of the Spirit, to call and transform and empower Him. And that's the same for any of us. We might not feel as qualified as others to serve God. But God is not looking for people who feel confident. Or who feel self-sufficient. God isn't, doesn't want people to come to Him that way. Instead, He's, peop- he's wanting people just to come and to trust in Him. And rely on Him. And who will believe that God is in charge, even when it doesn't look like it. That God is at work, even when some people reject Him. That God is to be served, even when some people are just serving themselves. That God can work through us, even when some people think we're unqualified. Unqualified. And that God can enable us, empower us to serve, even when we feel weak. I pray that none of us will excuse ourselves or miss out on what God wants for us in our lives because of how we feel. Or how we think we look. Or even what other people think of us. But that we will, as we've been singing this morning, we will step up and we will allow God to work in our lives according to His will for us. Because by His grace He has qualified us to serve in His kingdom.